Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It feels like every day there's something different when it comes to Major League Baseball and whether they're going to play or not play or how they're going to play or agreements and money. Nats Talk Podcast, Todd Divas, Chase Hughes, Nick Ashy with you. Uh, the latest was suddenly Max Scherzer, who doesn't tweet, really isn't overly vocal about a lot of things. So what he put out the other night, being just one of eight players on the Players Association's executive subcommittee, tweeting essentially that the significant pay cuts the league has now proposed again is not going to be accepted. The union's going to remain committed to players receiving their full prorated salaries that they already agreed to before. That carries a lot of weight. And when it's somebody that doesn't speak a lot, Todd, and suddenly comes out with a very strong voice on a very powerful subcommittee, that's a big deal for baseball in these negotiations. Yeah, there's a three-pronged situation going on there. One, as you said, Max Scherzer does not use social media to go have fun on. Uh, he had four original tweets in basically the last two years before he dispatched something at 11.26 p.m. that was typed out in a screenshot. So obviously this goes into the second prong. And if you talk to him, he will pause and say, how do I want to say this, right? This is, this, there's nothing happening here for this guy. He's very so You're focused. saying he, th he thinks about his, what he's going to say a lot more than like somebody like me would. <laughs> I mean, in yeah. fairness, that's a low bar. So, uh, but yeah, he's also, he's a, hey, Nick, he's also tall and athletic, you know? Hey, hey, hey. All right. I was, I'm kind of athletic. I can play basketball. My knees just hurt after I'm playing this. Right? I'm not 25 anymore. Shut up. Yeah. Does not have good hair. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find the ledger there. Um, so, yeah, he's very meticulous in, in with what he says. Um, and also even the timing of when certain – of saying certain things. He, he will say, I don't want to talk about that yet because, you know, other things are going to happen. And so let's talk about that in three days um, and, and go through it. Or come back to me and let's talk about that because I want to address this at a different time. So the third thing is he's been in the league a long time. He is going to the Hall of Fame. As you said, Nick, he's on – the executive subcommittee, you can easily envision him being executive director of the MLBPA at some point after he retires. So there's, there's a lot of oomph when he speaks. 
And to, to have a tweet from him suddenly pop at around 11.30 at night, I thought was a very, very interesting situation. Yeah, I thought uh, that, was, that was Scherzer not messing around. It was three sentences, very directly to the point. Kind of read like a three-pitch strikeout. Like, I, I pictured him, like, standing up from his computer and, like, snarling and stomping away after he tweeted it. <laughs> um, but uh, everything was really to the point. And the, and the last part was really strong, I thought. MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. That's a very heavy-handed statement uh, that suggests what? That the owners are being greedy and that they wouldn't be able to get away with this maybe if the public knew how much money they were set to make. So I think that's a really strong message, but also one that I've already seen and I would expect to see more of. Uh, it received some blowback from fans. I'm not saying I agree with the general consensus from fans, but we know how these situations usually go. They're generally uh, mostly critical of players complaining about not getting the money uh, or, you know, considering that they, they make a lot more than the average person, you know, when it's, when it's millions you're talking about, you're still going to make millions. Sometimes it's tough to get sympathy from the general public, um, even if the numbers are lopsided in favor of the owners. I, I think Scherzer has some legitimate concerns here. I mean, ultimately, they are very uh, big assets in a major company, and, and they are the reason why the league makes a lot of money in certain cases. Certainly, Max Scherzer is a big star. But I, I, I feel like they're, they're headed towards having to make more concessions than they would like to, be, to make. It, it, it's tough, too, because when you don't really have the full books, like they're asking for the books to be released by owners and they're secretive in terms of a lot of the, the financial aspects on their side of things, I can understand why players would feel the way they do about now more significant pay cuts. But it's also tough. Like the optics for this situation are tough given the, just the climate the world is in right now. Whether it's fair or not, when you see millionaires and billionaires fighting over money, this isn't just a normal like CBA type discussion that we're having where people get frustrated and that. I mean, we've got a, a pandemic going on and millions of people without jobs right now. So whether it's fair or not, those optics still being presented to the public, it, it, like, it doesn't help baseball, the players, the owners, anybody right now being in this situation. No, it doesn't, but there would also be less mistrust to kind of circle back to Chase's point and something you just mentioned, Nick. If the Players Association believed what the owners say, and it would be much easier to believe what the owners say if the owners showed the math. Just like the East Italian high school, Nick. Show your math. Show your work. Show your math. And um, they're not doing that, and they won't do it. So it's just you have to take at face value – what these guys are saying about their pending losses and there's to the union. I don't want to say that's laughable, but it's close. And especially when you remember a free agency two years ago and the owners didn't want to pay anybody. We all remember that, right? Yeah. Oh a, yeah. Certain, oh yeah. A certain local guy had entered free agency that year. I, his name escapes me. I can't, I can't remember. And Manny Machado too. Bruce. Uh, <laughs> Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Horner or something like that. I think that was his name, yeah. something like that, yeah. So when you go through that and you see the owner's attempts to suppress free agency, and Max Scherzer spoke out then specifically saying free agency has long been our golden egg, and they're trying to take it away, well, guess what? <laughs> they don't think that these guys are just trying to do right by them because it's the right thing to do. They don't believe what they're saying. And they're not giving them evidence to 
make them believe what they're saying. So it's very hard to come to a common conclusion when that's the environment that you're working in, even if, as you said, Nick, like economically, a lot of things are really bad for a lot of people. But this, in the player's mind, is a very simple, take the huge numbers out of it and it says, boil it down to the simplistic situation so many of us are in. It's the employees and it's the employer. And that's who's haggling here. And, and whether it's for $15 an hour or these enormous figures, like that's how they view it, right? Obviously, they have a fallback situation that quote unquote normal people don't have because of the, how much money they make. But that's how they're viewing it when they discuss it specifically. Employees, employer trying to come to a consensus. And you allude to the numbers. Um, you know, I saw like Garrett Cole, for instance, I think he's going to make like 31 million this year, or he would normally. And it would go down to like 9 million on the latest revenue split proposal. Even 9 million lower. still, yeah, well, still, you know, you're still talking about millions. And one thing that's interesting, um, and I'm not well, saying just, I, uh, you just know. For, just a quick note. Strasburg was supposed to make 35 this year. He would make like 5.3. Yeah. This is the base salary numbers. And sure, right. was going to make around 28 million and would make 4.3. Yeah, so it's it's a big cut, but it's still millions, and, and it's it's crazy because it wasn't that long ago. That's what these guys made. You know, the, the salaries have just spiked so much. So I'm not saying I agree with it. I just think it's going to be tough for them to, if they're trying to win a public argument, I don't think they realize uh, how difficult that will be given the position they're in. Yeah, but the the environment exists because they can be paid that right. Like the owners aren't paying them that amount so that they can lose because they're losing money right? Like the finances work because the revenue is there for everybody to make the finances at this level. So like I completely agree and understand that someone who makes an, the American average salary is looking at this and rolling their eyes. But like those numbers don't just exist like out of nowhere. It, it's tangible funds. This is what this specific business entity can generate and distribute and so that's why these guys get paid that. And another thing the union is going to say is not one person comes through the turnstile, not one time, 162 games a year, so they can go see Mark Lerner. They come to see the players. Hey, speak for yourself, Todd. <laughs> that's why there's so much money in the game. So when the owners want their portion of this money to be guaranteed – which that would be the case if they come, they say, look, we're only going to pay you X. They're going to assume no risk health-wise, which is a dual thing. It's they're not playing, so there's no health concern there. And they're not playing suddenly after this lull and then they're going to sprint back on the field. And they're not playing in the middle of a pandemic. So no health risk, but the players take the health risk. And then they said to them, well, we can make up some money at the back end on the postseason. We'll finally get some of that where we usually collect all the truckloads of money in the postseason, but we'll give you some of that. But the postseason is not guaranteed. So like their ground to recoup some of the money is not guaranteed because if there's another spike, it may go away. If there's a problem, it may go away. You know, that's in maybe. So the owners want guarantees and to assume no risk. <laughs> and the players are like, we're not going to take all the risk, take unguaranteed money and take a huge the only thing we know for sure is that we're going to take a huge salary cut. This is not going to work. Hence, Max Scherzer tweets. 
You know, Todd, just to spite you, next time Nats, uh, the Nationals Park allows fans, I'm going to show up with the jersey that says Learner and then whatever their valuation is in Forbes, like $2.4 2.4 will be the jersey number. 2.4 be the jersey. Yeah. <laughs> All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. We'll see what he thinks about what Max Scherzer had to say. Plus, is there any chance that we can force a Yankees-Nats rivalry? I guess it's maybe possible, so why not? We'll see what he has to say about that next on the Nats Talk Podcast. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Tyler, let's start with what Max Scherzer said the other day on social media. We were talking about this a little earlier in the podcast. Like, he's not a big tweeter. He, he always thinks about the things that he says. And obviously, he's part of a very powerful subcommittee. And, and to say what he said speaks volumes i think in our eyes what's your take on max scherzer being so vocal about the the pay cuts that players are now expected to take yeah i mean i think it was a signal that uh the players are uh going to show a united front here um i think that the owner's proposal was something that was you know they were hoping that because more than half of the players actually make less than a million um you know the median player makes less than a million or a million um that there'd be a majority of the players who would say, yeah, this is good because it's a sliding scale and, and, and we get a greater percentage. But it's always been very important that the union, uh, or any union, really stays together, and Max communicated that. And he also communicated, uh, you know, the, the distrust that uh, the players have of the, of the uh, ownership right now. I mean, you know, they, they, they've long talked about wanting to see the owner's books and, and, and wanting access to just how much money these guys have it would help them in their PR war and it would certainly help people understand just how much is available, but the owners haven't, haven't given them enough. They, they've prepared some stuff for them, but they haven't given them uh, satisfactory numbers. So the, the standoff uh, continues. So here at the end of May, Tyler, we we're starting to hear what I think a lot of us expected to hear, right? Like the league is going to make a kind of way over here proposal. The players are going to say that's not going to work. And this is how negotiations typically go, right? Start right. with the widest gulf and they try to close it down. These two sides have been through a lot of negotiations. Do you feel like this rhetoric is standard fare for how the league and the players association argue? Does this seem worse to you? Does the pandemic itself in the environment possibly make it worse or at least different than in the past? Well, I think it started out pretty well back in March. I mean, you know, the players agreeing to have prorated salaries, um, you know, based on games played in exchange for a full year of service if games were not played. And that seemed like it was pretty straightforward negotiation. But now the players look at it as, uh, you know, trying to redo um, a negotiation that they thought was uh, was closed. And now the owners say, well, um, you know, there was a line in that in that agreement that we'll have a good faith discussion uh, about the economic feasibility of playing games without fans. And to them, that meant we can do a new economic structure and the player to the players that meant, no, it's just whether we're going to play or not. Uh, if it's economically feasible on your end, because we made our deal already. So yeah, I am hoping that it's just 
the typical negotiations. I mean, all this is very predictable. They've gone down to the wire before in uh, in labor talks, and and it's been 25 years since uh, since there's been a stoppage. So uh, hopefully they both realize that there's just too much to lose to blow up any season, let alone one that would um, happen at a time like this. While we're on the subject of Scherzer, I'm curious from your perspective, where do you think he kind of places in history? Because, you know, watching him every day around here, obviously people think very highly of him. And I think it's, it's easy to, uh, to bring hyperbole into the equation because obviously the numbers are very good. But how do you kind of like see his legacy and where he, he stands? Well, I think he's a, he's a sure Hall of Famer for one thing. Um, you know, right, right, right as soon as he is on that ballot, I think he'll get, uh, you know, definitely 75% of the votes and, and, and more than that. Um, I think it's interesting because he's 35 and he turns 36 this summer. And that's a time when a lot of pitchers start to, to fade away. Um, and he's still going pretty strong. I know he missed a little time with injury last year and, of course, had to miss game five. Um, but he came back in game seven and, and, and gutted it out. So, you know, when you look at his historical performance, three Cy Young Awards, that gets you to Cooperstown. I think it's no question that what he's done and, and, and the amount of strikeouts that he's had. I mean, I think, you know, really all decade long, it felt like, you know, it was Clayton Kershaw was the pitcher of the decade and, and, and Justin Verlander. But I think if you add up all the numbers and, and look at how dominant Scherzer was, that he probably stole that crown at the very end. Uh, you would probably say it was uh, Scherzer and, and Scherzer just a little bit notch ahead of uh, Kershaw and Verlander. And that's a really impressive uh, trio. But he, he, you know, he just continues to dominate. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch. He's smart out there. And um you know, and also he's, as we, sh as we saw with this tweet, you know, he's the kind of guy who, who's a, a smart person um, who's not afraid to uh, be a spokesman on a controversial issue like this. This is Mike Tirico introducing you to Sports Uncovered. When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Quote, unquote, I'm back. I'm back. The two-word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the most impactful two words ever. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered right now to get the Michael Jordan episode automatically downloaded on May 28th. So baseball has talked about a lot of different things. Obviously, we put money aside in all these negotiations they're having right now, but just actual changes to the way things are done. Division realignment's been thrown around. Universal DH, all these different changes realistically what do you see being something that baseball agrees on to change whether it's temporary or maybe it's even something that sticks long term yeah I feel like if they get this season on off the ground it's going to be um, a uh, really fertile opportunity for baseball to try out some of these ideas that that they've been wanting to enact you know the, the DH is something that the players union has always uh, supported in as a concept so I, I feel like once that's there, it's probably not going away. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I'd have a hard time, you know, believing that if you introduce it and and play half a season with it and it's something the players want anyway, that they would then pull it off the table, especially because theoretically it, 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 it you know, it's, hell, it's better for pitchers' health. So I feel like that's probably here to stay. And, and this increased playoff format thing too, guys, I mean, we saw this floated – in spring training, I think Joel Sherman wrote about it uh, in detail. And uh, I don't like 
14 out of 30 teams making the playoffs. I think that's too many. I think it probably cheapens the regular season a little bit, but it's not out of line with other sports, especially if they expand, then they go to 32 in a few years, then it's 14 out of 32. Again, to me, it's still too many, but if it keeps more fans interested down the stretch and if it gets more TV money for the postseason, because uh, that's where the money really is nationally, they'll probably stick with that too. And just real quick to follow up on that, because you're, if you're having different teams, let's say it's realigned, uh, teams that don't play each other as much may play each other more for this season. Is there a possibility, I know this is dangerous to say this because I've seen this thrown around on like social media and people are mostly idiots on social media, but sometimes it's at least interesting. <laughs> is there a possibility that let's say there's, you know, more of a Yankees-Nats rivalry? Does it have any shot of happening, even if it's just something in the short term? Because let's be honest, the Yankees are certainly hated mostly outside of New York. And I'm sure Nats fans would love a new team to hate because now when you're a champion, you get to just hate everybody and feel like you're on par with all these other organizations. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, I think it's it's all probably on the table as long as they're getting creative and, and getting a little weird. You know, I, there's been some talk uh, over the years about, you know, realigning a, 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 on geographic uh, grounds, um, you know, a little bit like the NBA. Again, I, I'm such a traditionalist that, that I would hate to lose those uh, league rivalries. But when you think about it, everything else about the leagues has really been um, diminished, the distinctions between the leagues. I mean, going back, there used to be, uh, you know, National League umpires and American League umpires. There used to be separate league offices, separate league presidents. Uh, they used to alternate all-star game sites and World Series uh, home advantage, home field advantage by leagues. They don't do – they used to alter the, the draft who, who goes number one by league. They don't do any of that stuff anymore. And, and, and if the DH is going away, I just think it's another example of the leagues losing their identities. And, you know, eventually as they, the sport moves forward, they're always trying to attract new people. Maybe doing that is something they'll, they'll look at um, seriously. You know, like having the Yanks and Nats, some sort of Eastern block of, uh, of teams and rivals just shake it all up. You know, it's 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 not a crazy concept. It, it it does have some merit. I don't love it, but they don't design stuff for me because I'm always going to watch anyway. You know, they want the new fans. <laughs> they want. They know. They know that the addicts are hooked, right? The addicts are going to buy anything. So it it it's, they want they want new they want new customers. And if you could tell that I just watched The Wire during this whole pandemic, that's why I'm talking about addicts and drugs and stuff. <laughs> speaking of, so, speaking of pandemic. Yes. Go ahead. Right. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, so can we get you to play Soothsayer a little bit here? We, we have the expected back and forth between these two sides. They're probably about 10 to 12 days from having to make a decision. If, if July 1st is going to be feasible, they need to get this done in the next, you know, 10 plus days, kind of two weeks to scramble down the spring training and have three weeks to spring training, which as far as I understand it, the pitchers really want because that would give them four starts which is something a guy we were just talking about was talking to me about at when spring training stopped. Scherzer was very adamant about the three weeks and the four starts. So I'm assuming that he's telling everyone else that as well. Uh, so how, how do you see this playing out? So kind of A, how do you see this playing out in the next 7, 10, 12 days? And B, what is your confidence level that something is going to come together and there will be an 82-game or longer season this year? Well, I've been alternating between optimistic and pessimistic, kind of based on who I talk to and just the way things are going, um, both in the country and, and, and with their uh, with their negotiations. And and I, somewhat, you know, someone at the ownership level told me like, 
they are really scared of losing a, you know, a year and a half of going a year and a half without being in front of people because people move on and people, not that they forget about baseball, but they learn to live without it. And if there's less money to spend, you know, you don't want to take your product away from people, you know, from the time Daniel Hudson strikes out Michael Brantley until opening day, 2021, that's a lot of months of 17 months or, or, or so. So I, there's a great incentive to get out there. So I, I mean, percentage wise, I don't know. I, it's certainly not a slam dunk. I don't know. 60, 40 that they play maybe a little higher, but uh, I don't know. I, I got to believe they, they figure it out somehow. Maybe the Washington Nationals way with deferrals, you know, like I, I know the owners don't want to do that, but that is one way that the players, uh, you know, have shown that they're, they're open, just give, you know, getting their money, just whenever they get it, as long as they get it, the guaranteed contract has always been a huge part of uh, underpinning of, of the union. And I don't think, you know, they've already given up some of that by prorating it. They don't want to give up more, but if you, if you can, you know, defer it out to some payment plant schedule that that'll work for teams. Maybe players would accept that. I know teams don't want it right now. Um, they don't want that, but um, it seems reasonable to me, a, a reasonable compromise to, to do it that way. And as we show with the nationals, um, it can work, right? Everybody be happy and get their money eventually. And uh, you know, be uh, smiling at the end of the year. It can, it can work in some cases. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you shoot Bryce Harper a text, he will probably send you back. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, maybe not for him. But Bobby Bonilla is pretty happy with it, uh, you know, yeah. so it worked out for Bobby. <laughs> and he had a day named after him because yeah. of that. That's right. Smartest contract ever. Smartest contract since the, uh, since the ABA folded and the Spirits of St. Louis got uh, TV rights in perpetuity. It's probably number two, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, it was really I, – I think the, the hard part about this is we've kind of – kind of gone through this is just thinking about the possibility of no baseball so I certainly hope that's not the case it would be hard to believe that we don't even have a season but you know hopefully this all comes together and look at some point soon we're actually talking to you about like real baseball and not just negotiations because it's it's certainly something that's been weighing heavily on everybody for a long time great stuff really appreciate the time thanks for coming on Tyler all right fellas thanks a lot for having me all right, let's get into the National Supreme Court debate. Chase, I know you got something on Twitter that's actually really interesting, and I think it's a, it's a very decent debate, and it's something that people – I feel like it gets very contentious at times when this comes up. Yeah, so it's time for us to take up another case, and we got a really good question from at Father Kevin on Twitter. He asked, can we get a ruling on where the history of the franchise lies? He says the team has moved from the Senators to the Expos for some history – but the fans remain divided. He said, only this tribunal can truly decide. I agree with that last part. So I usually go last year and break the tie, but I'm going to go first and uh, then toss it to Todd. So uh, first of all, I love this question because if you think about it, the Nationals have this sort of dual citizenship when it comes to their history. And it's really unique around sports. Like, I'm not sure if there's really a contemporary. Like, the fact that they did an Expos Day and wore their jerseys was something that was very unusual if you consider the recency. Like, you would never see the Thunder do that with the Sonics or the Ravens uh, with the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, the, the Browns are, are a team, again, uh, I guess technically. But the Nationals have basically done an equal effort of honoring both. You have the Senators and the Expos in their ring of honor. Uh, Walter Johnson's up there, so is Andre Dawson. But if you go by official records... Uh, the Senators' history belongs to the Twins and the Rangers, the teams that they became when they moved from D.C. And if you go to the Nationals page on Baseball Reference, for instance, it's Expos from 2004 going on back. So 
The official record is the Expos, but I'm going against the official record and say that it should be the Senators because uh, they represented Washington, D.C., not Montreal. And I'm big on teams representing their cities and the people from them. Um, I think a, there's, there's still a connection that's left there. Um, there's some Nationals fans who are around and rooted for the Senators. Or in my case, I've heard from relatives about the Senators back in the day. And obviously the jerseys are kind of modeled after them. And my last point would be, I, I think the, the Expo stuff is a little bit temporary. If they were to get a team back, which I hope happens, I would assume that maybe those stats and records would be returned to Montreal. Um, so I'll cast the first vote, and that is that the Senators should be the official history of the Nationals. What say you, Todd? I agree with a lot of your points, and I'm going to cast a random vote and say the Nationals should be the history. That's it. Oh. The Nationals are their own entity. They have won the World Series. They are a modern-era team. Uh, I, I, I think very much Montreal is likely to get – another team when, the, when there's expansion to 32 teams. And it just in the way that the Expos became the Nationals was such a weird path, right, with the league running stuff and it wasn't the normal relocation. So I'm looking at the Nationals as a singular entity that will have the Ryan Zimmerman statue out back at some point. Statue. Uh, yeah, like Mike Rizzo said, and on the Ryan Zimmerman statue, you'll be able to tap a touchscreen and hear him grouse about spring training uh, or make some jokes about player prospect rankings. And, <laughs> and, then, and hopefully the plaque will inform you about a lot of the stuff his foundation has done prior and did during the pandemic, um, as well as maybe some walk-off home run stuff. Uh, By the way, I, I hope there's a plaque at the Todd Dibus ice cream machine someday in the press box. <laughs> An honorarium. Yeah. <laughs> when I kick it from eating too much ice cream. <laughs> something up there for me, please, Chase. So, uh, yeah, there will be in a Steven Strasburg statue, perhaps, too. And Baby Shark. Yeah, Baby Shark. And wow, uh, he did not sound enthusiastic about Baby Shark. Come on, it's on the ring, Todd. Yeah, well, like if the baby shark came out of the Potomac or the Anacostia, it would have like 18 <laughs> and four eyes. <laughs> so if someone wants to design that logo, go for it. But that's, that's how I view it. I think the Nationals are basically becoming their own entity and obviously one of the better franchises in the league, one of the, one of the winningest franchises since 2012 when things began to turn around and um, peak last year with the World Series win. This is always complicated in pro sports because when you have teams move, it's almost like you're trying to figure out a timeline in their history. It's like, a, like, it's like Back to the Future. Or some, it's one of those movies where it's like you step in the past and you alter the future and you don't know where the, the timeline's going to go. Yes, there was a Nationals team very early on in the early 1900s that basically turned into the Senators, but they became the Rangers. The Expos were the franchise that became these Nationals. So you can look at it as maybe the history of Washington baseball and clearly the senators and the original nationals and all of that becomes a part of Washington history. But if you're looking at franchise records and you're looking at, you know, stats and you've got to go with the Montreal Expos history to now being the Washington nationals. If you look at what happened in the NBA years ago, when the Sonics moved to Oklahoma city and became the thunder, the, the Thunder's history, their franchise history, you know, franchise records, how they gauge those, are based on the Seattle Supersonics as well. Now, the NBA, I think, made an agreement where they said, 
you know, if Seattle got another team within five years of Oklahoma City getting the Thunder, that then they would split their histories off. Seattle would keep theirs, and then the Thunder would have theirs separately. But you have to look at it from a franchise record standpoint as where that franchise was, where it moved, and what the history of that specific franchise was. If you just want to talk about, you know, statues in the history of baseball and people that have contributed to baseball in D.C., then I think you can use that. So you can have the Ryan Zimmerman statue, but you can also go back and, you know, a hundred years ago, if you want to use that as part of just the overall history of what baseball was like in the city, but record wise franchise records, stats, things like that. You got to go with where the franchise actually came from before then. Okay. Okay. So Todd, I think your answer was really interesting, but can you break the tie for us? <laughs> Hang on. Let me get the coin. I'm going to go. I'm having a quick flashback here. And if I'm Remembering this correct, Chase, you have lost each one of these, right? You've been overruled. <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay. I rule with Nick. Okay. Yes. There we go. Yes. So we, have, we have settled it. It's a timeless Nationals debate. There's three of us. We, we can break the tie in the National Supreme Court and expose history it is. All right, Chase, do you want to get a parting shot in here? By the way, I've been told that I think it's very important that part of your parting shot now becomes a really bad Chase joke every time. You know, that's kind of like our thing that I've certainly loved to push over it. So okay. could you start the parting shot again with a horrible joke, and then you can say whatever you want after that? I'll, let me end it with a horrible joke, okay? All right, that's fair. Um, we'll let you – that'll be your kicker then. Fair enough. All right. All right, first of all, shout out to a former Nationals outfielder, Denard Spann, who is – Said he's basically retired. Uh, he can't get the right major league deal. He's 38 now. He played 11 seasons. So it's about time to hang it up. Hasn't played since 2018 with the Mariners. Um, and he had his best seasons in D.C. He was a really good player. He got MVP votes in 2014. And also, he was a very pleasant guy to deal with. Honestly, one of the best players I dealt with in the Nationals clubhouse. So hats off to him. And lastly, Today, the reason why we're taping when we are is because I have to go to a pediatrician appointment because my two-month-old baby is getting shots for the first time. So uh, there's probably going to be a lot of kicking and screaming. Um, but since I've been with Todd Divers during a rain delay, I think I should be prepared. Yes. That was actually not bad. Not <laughs> bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. And I was going to jump in there to say there will, the baby will be upset too. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, my parting shot circles back to my home improvement adventures. Uh, over Memorial Day weekend, I finished building a floating deck out back. I'm wow. very proud of myself. I've taken a couple personal victory laps. Maybe I'll slap before and after on, on the tweeter for people who listen to this. It's not a large deck, um, but I did it all by hand because I'm so <laughs> stubborn. So hammered all the nails by hand, sawed everything with a handsaw instead of the circular saw that I have. No ball <laughs> gun, none of that. Like being out on the frontier, Nick, and getting it done. Look at wow, you. I've got impressive. Some, I've kind of been out on the frontier the last few days. We've been staying at uh, my wife's parents' cabin they have in Virginia. So it's basically working remote, very remotely right now, which is nice. Uh, I learned how to take care of chickens. So I've kind of had some frontier work going on too, and feeding them and collecting wow. the eggs they got 50 acres and chickens here i may never come back to civilization guys i might just stay out here i got everything i need <laughs> surprised you have cell service yeah well we do thankfully we do so there's that and plenty of wi-fi here but there's a lot of uh there's a lot of mountains and trees and not a lot of people which sometimes is very nice and right now more than ever it's actually great to just not be around people i stay far away from chase 
and his terrible jokes. So actually today, Chase, I will give you credit. And you know, I always will. That was decent. It was a decent thing. <laughs> uh, thanks to Tyler Kepner who joined us. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't yet, follow us on all of the socials. Todd Chase, always a good time. Talk to you next time on the National Stock Podcast.